If you have God's word, I want to invite you to turn to John, the book of John, or the gospel of John in John chapter 12. And we're going to look at the first few verses there. But we're not going to get to it quite yet. We have some, some, uh, some things to cover and some ground to uh, work on as, as we get ready for, for that passage. Um, and, and you know, usually when we come together, we gather on Sunday, you know, we, we find the scripture, we break the bread of life, and then, and then there's some exegesis, and we try to understand, okay, what's this word, what is the scripture saying to us? And I mean, and, and that's, that's great. It needs to be, you know, a lot of, about the word of God. But I, I want to simplify it this morning for this Sunday and next Sunday, you know, and kind of remove the exegesis out of it and just kind of really simplify our, our thinking um, and, and, and share with you that it's going to be about one thing this morning and next Sunday. It's going to be about one thing. It's going to be about the cross of Christ. I, I, I thought it was really quite interesting. A gentleman came to church today. His name's Josh, and he's a chaplain for the Navy. He'd, he's been gone like six months, and he just came back today for the first time after six months. And he said, Pastor, I made something for you. And he put this little cross in my hand. And I said, Josh, that's interesting because that's what I want to talk about today. I'm going to be talking about the cross of Christ. And so he put this in my hand, just kind of affirming that, yeah, this is what we need to focus on. And so I want to begin with kind of an intriguing question. In fact, it's it's there in the note portion of your bulletin. So grab the bulletin and look at the note portion of the bulletin there on the inside on the right. And there is a question there that I want to begin with. And here's the question. Do you think the church should always display a cross when we have service? I mean, that's an intriguing question. And maybe it's it's, uh, you know, maybe a little odd to ask that question, you know, for this season at this time. But, you know, the more that I thought about it as I was getting ready for Holy Week, the more I thought that this is exactly the kind of question that we should be asking, because it's all pointing towards, of course, the cross of Christ and, of course, his death and his resurrection. We, we understand that. But the question is, should should we display, should we always display the cross when we have service, one student response, I was reading an article about, the, about this, and one student's response was interesting. It was a little bothersome. I'm, I'm kind of an old guy, kind of traditional. But his response was this, and even though I was maybe bothered by it, it, it is a true statement. Here's his response. He said, I shouldn't need anything to worship Jesus. You know, when asked the question, should we always display a cross in service when we're having church? Again, his response, I, I shouldn't need anything to worship Jesus. So it's interesting as I kind of mull the question over. It's interesting that God does use things to remind us of his activity in human history, his activity in humankind. In fact, when I remember in Genesis, I think it's Genesis chapter nine, where we read there around verse 14 or 15, where. You know, God begins this covenant and this promise to man after he had flooded the earth and the promises that he would not flood the earth, destroy the world as he did at that time ever again. And so what does he do? Do you remember? What does he do? He puts a rainbow in the sky. That's right. And so we kind of have that symbolism there or that that rainbow that is symbolic that this is the promise of God. This is the covenant of God that he will not destroy the earth as he did so so many years ago. And so we recognize there there is some representation. And then we go to Zechariah. 
Zechariah. And you remember God was speaking to Zechariah and the word of the Lord came to him. And for the very first time in Zechariah chapter four, around verses two through six there, uh, we, we get this idea, a glimpse of the oil that becomes symbolic of the Holy Spirit or the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In fact, uh, on a regular you know basis, often I. I will anoint somebody. Somebody is going to have surgery or they're concerned about something. They say, Pastor, anoint me. And we go to the altar and I get my oil and, excuse me, and I anoint them with oil, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so, again, we have some symbolism and the oil represents the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then, of course, throughout all of Scripture, we have more symbolism in the power and the movement of the blood. And remember that we have the blood and and that representation or symbolism throughout all of Scripture and especially, of course, the blood of Christ that was shed on Calvary. And so, yes, God will give us ways or symbols to be reminded of his activity in human history. So the cross is a reminder, a visual reminder of why we gather and who we gather for one one worshiper. When asked this question, I'm not sure whether it's a male or female, it doesn't matter, but um, this worshiper was asked this question, do we always need to have the cross present when we have service? And their response was, do I need the cross to be present? No. Do I like it? Yeah. Adding, it is an instant visual of why we have come and, and gathered worship and, and, and who we worship. So, again, it's just an intriguing thought. And again, being the old guy, I, I'm bothered, you know, by certain statements. Um, one, one professor, uh, even in our own movement, you know, was, was, was asking or making the statement in a class I was taking, a master's class a few years ago, and he made the statement. He says, I'm not sure whether we, needed, we, we even needed the cross or not. And, of course, I understand his his idea of, you know, you know, stripping us down intellectually and building us back up and teaching us. And, and I understand the challenge of giving us a barb to get us to think intellectually. I mean, the idea or the importance of the cross. But when he said, I'm not sure whether we really needed the cross or not, I know what he was getting at. I know what he was getting at is that we need Jesus Christ. We, we need Christ. I mean, it's about Christ. Now, now, let me share with you this morning what what I understand. Here's what I understand. I understand that the cross represents and is a reminder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, get that. I mean, if you get anything, get that, that the cross is a reminder and is a representation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's something maybe we need to impact at at a different time. We talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, of course, this week, moving towards the event of the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, which is really, in summary, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is what I understand, that the cross represents the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second thing that I understand, I understand that the cross points us To the length and the depth that our creator was willing to go to show us that he loves us. The depth and the width of a a creator. I mean, if you really imagine and rather just being flat on the page, okay, this happened. But the fact that God who created heaven and earth and all of the universe became flesh. And he dwelt among us. And it's that creator that went to the very length and the very depth of, of, of allowing himself to be crucified upon the cross. My heart is moved. And, and, and I just, I'm, I'm aghast at what Jesus, what God has done for us. That's what I understand. I, I understand. Here's something else that I understand. I understand that the cross 
piercingly reminds us of the depravity of man, that, that, that sin separates us from God, and, and that we need this bridge, and that depravity, which is being depraved of righteousness, or that the depravity of man leaves us very much in sin, you know, apart from God, and that it is the cross that bridges the relationship, deals with the depravity for everlasting, that we might have everlasting life. So the depravity of man finally illustrates that the cross is neither symbolism, now get this, it is neither symbolism or about ritual. <laughs> Pay attention here. The cross screams out at us that it is about Jesus' sacrifice as the Christ and the Messiah of all humanity. Amen. Amen. You see, we don't need another symbol. We, we don't need something to idolize. We don't need something to be offended about or, or whether we're, you know, all, you know, like it or don't like it. We don't need a prettier piece of art or something else to hang around our neck. We don't need, you know, something else that separates us because of preferences. What it should be about, what the cross should point us to, it is about Jesus Christ, that we need Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, Jesus, who died on the cross because he loves you, was willing to sacrifice his life for you and to bring you everlasting life is what it's about. What did Jesus say? Do you remember? He said, come unto me, all you who are what? Heavy laden that you might find rest. That is what Christ is about. And the cross of Christ, it is Jesus that is loving us. It is Jesus that is wooing us. It is the cross of Christ where Jesus is calling us. And Jesus is crying for us. And Jesus is reaching out for us. And Jesus is sacrificing for us. That's what the cross of Christ is about. Jesus may use many things. I mean, anything to draw us unto himself. But it is the cross of Christ that draws out of us. This this depravity, piercingly penetrating the heart. And it's the heart condition, you see, that depravity addresses. And the heart condition, of course, is a condition that, that is depraved. In other words, depraved of the righteousness of God. Now, why? Because of sin. And there's two types of sin. One is original sin and the other is personal sin. We know that. Original sin is depravity. That's depraved of the righteousness or relationship with God. And so we see that from the very beginning. Now, bear with me. We see it in Genesis chapter 3 in the narrative of how sin is separating us from God. Genesis chapter 6 then, God mentions or he outlines the, the fact that that every inclination of man is sin. And, of course, then the flood happens. And then we find the thread, you know, continuing into the New Testament as we go to Romans chapter 3, looking at verse 23, where we read what? What do we, what do we read there? Anybody know that? For all, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But see, the story doesn't end there. The narrative is, is not finished at that point. We go to John chapter 1. We're in the book of John. In fact, go there with me today. Go to John chapter 1. And then we look at verse 12 where we have this promise. Go to John chapter 1 looking at verse 12. And we look at the promise here for just a moment. Take a moment and find that. Go to John chapter 1 verse 12. And we read there, yet to all who did receive him meaning Jesus Christ, who received him, Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent. And so we have this new birth idea and that there is salvation and there is spiritual birth in Jesus Christ. So not born of natural descent, but that we are children of God because we are born of God in Jesus Christ. Again, it is not profound. 
It is not in this the profound intellectual way that we say, okay, here's what the word is saying. But it is in the simple reality and the truth that Jesus Christ died on the cross because he loves you. And he gave up his life for you. And we, we need to affirm that in, in this season, this week. In fact, Palm Sunday is pointing us to our, our, our Savior, you know, on the cross and, and, of course, buried and resurrected. But, you know, I, I propose that the pointing... If you follow me, the pointing begins way before even the beginning of this week, before the, you know, the palm fronds are waved and before he's riding in on the donkey. It's being pointed to in, in, in early stages of, of the ministry. In John chapter 12, that's our text today. Go to John chapter 12 and we're going to pick up there at verse 1. Follow me there this morning. Go to John chapter 12, looking at verse 1, and we're going to read down through that together to about, about verse 8. So we go to John chapter 1, looking, uh, chapter 12, excuse me, John chapter 12, beginning at verse 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, uh, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, and I'm just imagining, you know, all the emotion and all you know, all the thoughts, all the things that was happening at this time, what this atmosphere is like. She takes a pint of Pernard, an expensive perfume, very expensive. It's like worth a year's wages. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And again, imagining just the, the varied emotions that was present at this time. You know, Martha, that was very busy and serving in that way. And, of course, Judas Iscariot, who we'll read here about in just a moment, who betrays Christ. And he's on the other end of the spectrum, you know, wondering why you're spending this money this way, you know, spending these resources like this. And so she, she bends down and she pours the perfume over his feet. Imagine that what a humble act and begins to, you know, wipe his feet with her hair. And then verse four, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to be betrayed or to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she would, should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So it's interesting. I mean, the juxtaposition of, of all the details of the story, because it's like Jesus is okay giving us an order because Jesus was a savior of justice and he addresses justice and he feeds the poor and he loves, you know, those that are lost and those that are hurting. But yet he reminds them that here is the order. Here is the purpose. I am the purpose. I am the order. This is Jesus Christ speaking because you will not always have me. In other words, there will always be something grabbing for your attention. How many agree with that this morning? There's always something that's vying for attention. There's always something that's grabbing at you and wanting to latch onto you. There is always going to be something that wants to occupy the space that is reserved for God. Some will speak about that God-shaped hole. And that there is this space or this place that, that should be God's space. But there are so many things that are, are pushing in and so many things that are vying for our attention. And, and maybe it's schedule and maybe it's interest that we have or activity or athletics or, or, or maybe it's sin. Maybe it's temptation. 
and it's pressing in and it's threatening to occupy the space where God belongs. In fact, this whole Lent season and all of our devotions that Pastor Vic has been sending out and, and the focus is saying make space for God. Amen. Make space for God and time for the Lord. And, and yet there is this these things that press in and these temptations that threaten, you know, to, to occupy that space that belongs to God. I I. Uh, I came across an article I was reading about temptation and they were they were talking about the alligator snapping turtle and they kind of relate that to temptation. And I I immediately reminisced about a, the first time that I ever was introduced to an alligator snapping turtle. In fact, I don't know if you know what one is. They exist primarily in mid-America, southeast of America, you know, kind of the Sun Belt states. But but they are they're the largest North American turtle. They can grow up to 250 pounds. I mean, great big turtles. And they have uh, kind of like a beak for a mouth. I mean, it's, they're very dangerous. And I've never seen one before. My wife and I, we had moved to Kansas City to go to seminary. Heidi's sitting back there, and, and her parents was in town, and they were driving us around the country looking at things. And, and there was this big old turtle. I mean, this turtle had to be like maybe 40 or 50 pounds. It was a big turtle. And, and, and we, we pulled over, and I said, I want to grab that thing. And so I jumped out of the car, and... I got a hold of this this turtle, the snapping turtle. Now, I didn't know, I'd never been introduced to a snapping turtle before, but uh, a snapping turtle has a really long neck. Did you know that? They have a long neck, and they fold the neck up and put it underneath the shell. And again, they have this this kind of claw-like beak for a mouth, and 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 it's very dangerous. And and I pick this turtle up, and I'm looking at it like this. I'm by the passenger window where my father-in-law is, and I'm looking at it like this. And all of a sudden, in a flash, I mean in a lightning bolt flash, that snapping turtle reaches out, comes out, I mean, just quick as a flash and snaps at me. And I'm telling you, it was so close, I could feel it nick the end of my nose. And, you know, uh, later on, I learned if that turtle had gotten a hold of my nose, I wouldn't look like what I look like today. Uh, it's interesting. The first service, uh, Rick Randolph, he sits over here. He drew a picture of me and the snapping turtle with the nose, my nose in his mouth. Uh, so, so Rick, I thought that was kind of funny. But anyhow, in the illustration, in the, the story I was reading about the, the alligator snapping turtle, they're very powerful. They, they've even been known to eat small alligators. But you know how they primarily get their food, the way that they, they, they eat fish, the way they get the fish is what they do is they go to the bottom of the lake or the river, wherever they're at. And uh, they sit at the bottom of the lake in the river with their mouth open, perfectly still. And on the end of their tongue, this is what the article said, on the end of their tongue, there's a little kind of worm-like appendage on the very tip of their tongue. And, And they open their mouth and they move their tongue out. And that little appendage on the end of their tongue kind of moves in the water as the water moves it around. And it makes it look like a worm. And then the fish come in, they swim in. And, and then they snap and they crush the fish and, and, and they've lured the fish in and they catch the fish and they crush the fish. And as I was reading that, I could not help but think that temptation is exactly like that. That temptation is alluring and temptation is attractive and temptation is something that draws us in. And folks, the reality is we are surrounded by temptation on all sides and we have to be careful. So when we say, what should the cross do? 
the, the cross should help us and remind us of things, some things. And what should it remind us of? Here it is. And I want to share a few things with you. One, it should remind us, the cross should remind us as we're dealing with the temptations in this world around us, is it remind us that God desires relationship with you. God desires relationship with you. Now, I, I think about the idea of a God that is desiring relationship, you know, with me. And, and I was trying to think about, well, what does that really mean when we think about desire? Well, the etymology of the word, if we break it up, you know, desire, the first part, of course, is the D-E-S, uh, des, and then there's ire. And ire, when somebody works their ire up against you, they become angry at you, and the relationship is threatened. Well, the opposite of ire, of course, is desire. You desire relationship. God is wanting to build relationship and create relationship. He wants to have relationship with you. He wants to create a positive experience. That is the first thing. The cross should remind us that God desires relationship with us. Amen. The second thing that we should be reminded of about the cross is that God will go to any length to show that he loves us. God will do anything. I I mean, I'm thinking this morning, to what extent will we as a parent, to what extent will we go to protect our children? To what extent will we go to, to, I mean, how many stories, how many illustrations do I have to share about how a parent will sacrifice their love for their child? Like the, the story of one mother that, that covered her baby in the sto- snowstorm and she froze to death and the baby survived. How many stories do we have to tell that a parent will go to any length, they will empty their a bank account to save their child? I'll, I'll never forget the verdicts. Uh, they, they're a couple that we pastored some years ago and... Uh, they had a son that ended up getting arrested. In fact, it was so clandestine and so horrible that he ended up on 2020. And you can imagine how embarrassing that was for mom and dad, for the parents, their son on 2020, because he had been caught and accused of being a serial rapist. And they continued going to church, and they, they just did not want to accept what had happened, what their son had been arrested for, and... And we we met with them and talked with them. And I'm telling you what, talking about talking about a a life, a family being destroyed. I I watched the verdicts. You know, I I watched them. They were pretty wealthy. I watched them spend everything they had. I watched them sell their home. They gave up everything they had. They absolutely became paupers because they were so determined as parents to keep their son out of prison. To what extent will we as a mom and dad go to protect our children? Imagine God's love for us. God will go to much greater extent than that. In fact, he did. He became flesh. He dwelt among us. He became flesh and he allowed himself to be crucified upon the cross. That's, that's how far God will go for us. And here's the last thing. What should the cross remind us of? I mean, of all things, it should remind us that God forgives us. God forgives us. God forgives you. I don't, I don't know about you, but... I know there are moments, I mean, there are just moments I've, I've felt in life where I felt almost unforgivable. I mean, how could God forgive me? And I don't know where you're at right now in life, but I know this, that it's possible that maybe you feel that a little bit. That God cannot forgive you. But here's the message of this, this Easter season, that God loves you. He became flesh. He died on the cross for you. He defeated death for you. He is resurrected from the dead. And God has victory because he loves you. God will forgive you. And he wants to wash you clean 
this morning. I want to invite us to bow our heads. Let's do that just for a moment. Let's bow our heads. And I, I just want to pray and ask the Lord just to come in and just wash over you, to answer your prayer, to give you peace this morning, and maybe just a little understanding that God is a God that loves you, that God forgives you, and he wants to give you hope. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, for answered prayer. I thank you for your goodness and your presence in our lives. I thank you, God, that, that, Lord, you not only desire relationship for us, but, Lord, you forgive us. You love us. Lord, you want to make this, this thing right. The depravity, Lord, this, this lack of righteousness, Lord, separation from you, Lord, you've taken the first step. You've acted on our, our situation, our circumstances, and you've said you desire a relationship with us. And so, Father, I, I ask that you would just hear that prayer this morning, that one right now that's saying, God, I desire a relationship for you, with you. Lord, I need you to forgive me. God, I need you to forgive me this morning. You're praying that way today. The Holy Spirit speaking to you right now. Just whisper a prayer saying, God, I love you. I need you to forgive me. Because God, he forgives you. He wants to show you mercy this morning. He wants to put his arms around you. He wants to draw you close right now. This is the good God that we serve. He loves you today. Just pray right now. Say, Lord, just forgive me, Jesus. Wash me clean this morning. Thank you, Father, for doing that. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. We pray all these things. Because, Lord, you first acted on our behalf. You first loved us. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. You know, when I was looking at the etymology of, of desire, God desires relationship with us. There was a, 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 a um, I don't know if it was Latin or French, but kind of a conjunction about desire. It was like de desire or something like that. And the meaning was down from the stars. Desire coming down from the stars. I'm thinking about our Savior that came down from above. Our Savior that became flesh, dwelt among us. Our Savior that died on the cross for us, came down from the stars. Our Creator did, so that we can have relationship with Him. Not just everlasting life, We could have conversations about what everlasting life means. But the reality that God desires relationship with you is what's transforming. He desires relationship with you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to walk with you. Won't you respond to him this morning? Let's do that in worship.